Welcome back to A Fine Time for Healing, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. Um, before we get started, I just want to remind you, if you're not a subscriber to the Randy Fine YouTube channel, please subscribe. I put up probably at least two videos a week, um, and they're all really amazing content. And when you watch these videos, if you like them, please give us a thumbs up. We would appreciate that very much. Um, and also comment. It really helps me understand how you're interpreting what I'm putting out there. So today we have with us Jake Fishbein, who is known as Coach Jake. Um, he has dedicated the past decade to empowering individuals and teams to navigate their most challenging decisions, improve communication, and build meaningful relationships. His particular focus on men's development work sets him apart. He co-facilitates the Arena Men's Group, where he inspires men to live authentically, engage vulnerably, and make impactful contributions to their personal and professional lives. It's really um, and you hold, Jake holds several professional coaching certifications, including from the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching, the International Coaching Federation, and the ACE Certified Coach Program. Um, I'll let him tell us a little bit more. Good morning, Jake, and welcome. Good morning, Randy. It's great to be here with you today. It's great to have you. You have all these certifications in coaching. Yes, I do. I feel it's really important as a coach to get highly trained. Uh, coaching is one of those industries where anybody can hang up, hang up their shingle and say they're a coach. And my experience has been, well, one, I've always loved learning and academia. So I wanted to make sure that I did the most rigorous trainings that I could find in order to become the best coach that I could be. Well, that's great. I'm an untrained coach. However, <laughs> however, I am an expert in the area that I coach. So, um, and that's pretty much my focus. So um, there would be no training for that. No um, one. <laughs> one of the one of the wonderful things about coaching, and I know many coaches who are exceptional coaches who went into this industry before trainings really became central. Mm -hmm. That training, especially for someone like myself who went into it at a young age, is incredibly important to establish credibility. Mm -hmm. But it's not always necessary to create impact. Exactly. You're that's a, that's a really good way of saying it. Okay, so um, today we're going to talk about. And women, I want you to listen because this really involves you as well. And we will talk about women too, even though the title of this uh, podcast is men. But um, today we want to talk about the, the modern male struggle. Um, and, you know, I tried to think about it and I'm like, well, what is that modern male struggle? What are men going through? I know women always struggle, <laughs> but what are men struggling? How are they? Yeah, well, it's fascinating. I think every week or every two weeks, I see a new article pop up in the New York Times or the Washington Post or somewhere online about the modern crisis amongst men. And having worked with men for almost a decade, that I've seen it across the board in so many different ways, both with my clients and the men in the groups that I've both run and been a part of, but also just in the news in our world over the past 10 years, but some of the core components that I see again and again are 
two two core things. One which I definitely experienced as a young man, which is nobody teaches young men how to be men anymore. That in the past, in past societies, there were always rites of passage. There were always ways that the community taught men how to be men. And I was lucky. I grew up with really positive, great male role models. My father is, a, is I would say, a great man. I had great coaches. I ran track and field in high school and college. And my high school track, my, my college, my high school track coach was an amazing woman. Um, she taught me a lot about so many things. But my college track coach was like a man of true integrity and taught me so much about what it means to be a man. But in college, I realized towards the end of my time there that I learned to be a man from boys who were older than I was, just from older boys, not from men themselves. And I think that's one of the crises men face is not having positive male role models from a young age demonstrating this is what it looks like to be a good man. This is what it looks like to be an honorable man. This is what it looks like to be a powerful man. This is what it looks like to be an honest, compassionate, vulnerable man. And I think that's a big gap. So that's one component. The other component that we see in the news a lot in these articles is the friendship crisis amongst men, which is men as they get older are reporting having fewer and fewer close friends. And that's something that my work directly targets and that I know I, I'm lucky I have a lot of really close male friendships because I've cultivated them. But the, t- the stereotype, the, the cliche is that men get married and they lose their friends and their partner's friends become their friends and they go to their partner for everything. They make their wives or their husbands. Um, I don't know as much about homosexual relationships, but in heterosexual relationships, they make their wives, their wife, their therapist their lover, their friend, their (laughs) mother, their everything, instead of cultivating these deep, meaningful relationships with men in their lives. Mm. And so that many men today are facing increased loneliness, increased lack of fulfillment in their relationships, and not having as many deep friendships as are, are really necessary to live a deep, fulfilling life. The Happiness Studies Academy they did a research study and they, I, I listened to this webinar years ago at the beginning of COVID. So I don't remember all the details clearly, but they said the number one indicator for happiness is relationships. And if men are not cultivating meaningful, deep relationships with men, with women, that that's going to create a crisis where there's a lack of fulfillment. There's a lack of purpose. There's a lack of belonging. And ultimately, I think a lack of, of knowing who they are as men. Right. What I'm hearing from young men now who are in the dating world is that they don't know how to act with women because the women are, well, first of all, so many of them are relationship phobic. They don't want relationships. The other thing that I'm hearing is that when they try to be a gentleman, the woman, young woman, tends to um give them a hard time about it they tend to feel like i can do this why are you doing this and so men who have been raised with you know good manners who know how to treat a lady right are getting slapped in the face because they're doing these things are you experiencing this kind of thing or with your the people that you work with 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think that dating right now is really hard for men. It's really hard for women. Um, I was dating for a while and for the last few years, and I'm now in a really great relationship. Um, but it took a while. And I have a good friend of mine who was also dating around the same period of time. And it's challenging. Many of the men that I work with are in relationships. They're married or have been with someone for a long time. So I don't do a lot of work with men in the dating world. But I know from observing it, how challenging it is for everyone, that the rules are changing and the rules aren't really clear. And one thing that I come back to again and again, as I watch different relationships, coach, different relationship coaches talking about dating, as I watch people complain about dating, is the importance of understanding one's own values mm. and of meeting people who either share that, those values or are open to conversing about them. Because so much of what I see are these values mismatches and not a communication of what expectations are. That ultimately each individual has their own values, their own beliefs of what's right and how, in this case, dating should be. And we walk into new relationships with expectations that are oftentimes not matched to actually the person who's across from us, which ends up like creating so much of this conflict and this uncertainty about how to be that I know for me as I'm 32 at this point in, I grew up in a play in an era, I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, very progressive town that it's never, it's, it's not clear how I'm supposed to be with women. That am I supposed to be incredibly nice and accommodating? Am I supposed to be directive? Am I supposed to be a gentleman? Am I supposed to, am I supposed to pay for first dates or not? And the rules are unclear. And I think it's because there are no rules anymore. Mm. And a lot of individual preferences. And we've all, we're trying to figure out the rules of the game when there aren't any. So it's up to us as individuals to decide who do I want to be inside this experience? How do I want to show up? What do I value? What matters to me? And to be able to communicate that clearly with the people we're meeting and be respectful at the same time, understanding that everybody has different expectations. And most of the time, our expectations are not expressed, especially early on in dating somebody. That's so true. And, you know, from where I sit uh, with the work that I do, I see, and we're going to move out of the dating area in a minute, but I just wanted to, to, to bring this up because um, there are a lot of predators, liars, fakers, you know, uh, imposters, I should say, um, in the, that are kind of in that in this dating pool, whether it be on sites or or whatever it is. And um, and what I've had to really tell my clients is, both men and women actually, is don't come off as being sweet and kind and malleable because if you do you're going to send the wrong message and a predator is going to lock onto you and people have a hard time with that because they want to be real but there's so much predatory behavior in the dating world that anybody that's real could very well get you know, uh, snatched up and um, brainwashed by one of these characters. So 
I've had um, my men in particular have a really hard time with this because mm -hmm. they'll say, but I like to open the door for a woman, but I like to pull out her chair, you know, but I like to pay. I want to take her to nice places. And I'm like, got to keep it down, keep it to a minimum. And don't start off with the best restaurants because then, <laughs> then that's another thing. If women are looking for men that have money or if they want to be taken care of, um, then they're going to be with you for the wrong reasons. So I hate to tell people that because I grew up, I was born in the late fifties. I grew up where there were pretty clear male role models, you know, and if somebody, if I was going on a date and the guy didn't come to the door, my parents were horrible. He was a horrible guy. You know, he had to come to the door and get me and say a few words. It's very uncomfortable for the man, but <laughs> he had to do that. So, um, so I know that the, this arena has gotten really muddy and mucky and nobody really knows what to do here. Yeah, nobody, nobody does. And I know one of the relationship coaches I admire a great deal. I think he has really good perspective. His name is Sean Galanos and he has a, his Instagram account is called The Love Drive. He, he says really clearly that a first date is just about seeing whether you want to go on a second date. And a second date is about seeing whether you want to go on a third date. And it's such a clear way of, it's not about pulling out all the stops. I know when I was growing up, I remember when I started dating and this was, I didn't really date in high school and college. I tried, but it didn't, didn't really work. Um, when I moved to New York, you know, I had all these ideas of what it meant to go on dates. It's like, okay, you go on a date and I'm supposed to call like three days later and I'm supposed to have like a grand gesture and realizing as I experimented with these things, how they didn't lead to fulfilling relationships, how I was so focused on being liked that I wasn't being authentic, that I wasn't even paying attention to do I like this person? Do I feel safe and fulfilled with this person? Do I feel like I can be myself with this person? And so many people are dealing with the dynamic of wanting to be liked, yes. wanting that affirmation from the outside that I think it does make us more susceptible to being in relationships that aren't actually what we need or want, but that give us that dopamine rush. And it's so important early on in dating someone to be focused on, do I like this person? How does my body feel when I'm with this person? Does am I is there some part of me that's thrown into fight flight and freeze do i feel safe here and to pay attention to those things as much as also like do i like this person do i want to spend more time with this person versus that desire to be liked so clearly and it's something that's so incredibly human and for those of you who are listening if you notice that in yourself like so many people feel that way mm -hmm. And I've done a ton of work on myself and I still feel that way sometimes of wanting to be liked. Right. But I know that if I come from a place or if you come from a place of wanting to be liked, and this goes for any relationship, not just dating, but friendships or business relationships as well, that you do or you can put yourself in a position of creating a relationship with someone who you don't actually want to be with, <laughs> who is not actually good for you, but is giving you that dopamine rush, is giving you the drama. I think we love drama in this country that I know for myself, I can speak to my previous relationships. There was something about the uncertainty, something about not being sure if it was going to work, 
something about it not being solid that was attractive. Hmm. And it's taken a lot of work to get to the point of, no, I actually want to be in a solid relationship where there is no drama. That doesn't mean there's no conflict. It doesn't mean there's no disagreement, but that there's respect, that there's honor, that there's compassion, that there's empathy, and that there's understanding and ultimately a connection to a mutual purpose and a willingness to move with one another. I think that's so important. It's not always uh, like fireworks. That's right. But fireworks relationships start off as good friendships. Yes, or uh, just this based in mutual respect. Mm -hmm. I think it's so very important is the respect piece in any relationship. And ultimately, I think that people who are predators out there, and it's it's not my area of expertise, so take this with a grain of salt. I know this is this is what you know much more about that there's probably a lack of self-respect in themselves that is acted out in their relationships with others. There's a total lack of respect for themselves. They don't even know who they are. So um, they're they're trying to feed on others. Okay. So we kind of covered that topic. So you said that you work with a lot of men who are married and you know at a different stage of their life what kind of other than the friendships what other issues are they dealing with so many so many and i would say that ultimately what they're dealing with are human issues that the work i do is human work that i i do this group work with men and individual coaching with both men and women but the thing the challenges men are encountering are not that different from the challenges i see women encountering as well challenges around being authentically self-expressed challenges around expressing anger challenges around being intimate being vulnerable being honest i think honesty is one challenge i see across the board with the men i work with which is there is this drive of i want to be liked i want to be kind Um, i don't want to say what's on my mind and holding on to secrets holding on to upset for fear of getting messy Mm. that there is this idea that I notice among men. And I noticed this with some of my male friends more in the past now than presently. It's like, oh, if I'm a friend with somebody, it means I'm not going to say something to upset them. Hmm. And we actually believe in the group that we run, the arena men's group, that a real friend is the person who tells you if you have spinach in your teeth, both literally and metaphorically, because we're all walking around with spinach in our teeth but it's very challenging sometimes to actually tell somebody. So that's a challenge that I see a lot of men encountering. But ultimately, I think the men who come to our group, they come because they're looking for community. They come because they're looking for accountability. They come because they're looking to be more vulnerable, to be more expressed. And they come because they want to be authentic to themselves. And also they want to take all of that and be in action in the world. That we call our group the arena, one, because of Brene Brown's work around vulnerability mm-hmm. and the Teddy Roosevelt speech about being a man in the arena, but also because the world happens out here. It doesn't happen in our heads. And when we're, when are, when we're in our heads, we're on the sidelines. And it's so important, I believe, to be a man or a woman in the arena willing to experiment and try and strive for things and be willing to fail, but be in action not just thinking about what to do or what could happen, but actually be trying regardless of the outcome. I think it's so important for people to be proud of the choices they make 
and not focus on the outcome of those choices, but be proud about what they chose and how they went about acting on those choices. Hmm. Very well said, thank you. Uh, so if men are afraid to say uh, who they are, how they feel, what they want, um, is that a reflection on the partner or is that is is it the partner that has created that fear or is that sort of a a generational fear that that men are having i think it's it's both and more that it's not the partner's sole responsibility just like it's not the generation's sole responsibility we have men in our group from 30 years old to 75 years old and every one of them struggles with similar things mm. that I think at the core, people are looking to be understood. They're looking to belong, men included. And I had a thought and the thought went right out my brain. But it's okay, it'll come back. It'll come back that so often men not knowing who they are or not feeling comfortable being self-expressed it comes from their own fear of not being enough, mm. their own fear of not being good enough, not smart enough, not worthy, not mattering. And that has nothing to do with who their partner is. Right. It could be anybody that we bring ourselves everywhere we go. Yeah. And I know that there's this, I, I hear it a lot of times, women, especially women I know who, who have a lot of male friends, they say, I love being friends with men. There's no drama. They say things exactly how they mean it. They're very straight. And in working with men, I think it's the biggest load of BS <laughs> that men are dramatic. Men are not honest. Men want to be liked. Men don't tell the truth. And it's not because they're lying. It's and this is not malicious. It's just that there is this myth that men are very straight to the point. I know that many are that these are broad generalizations. Mm -hmm. and this is the experience I have from working with many men over the years. Um, and anytime you work in broad generalization, some people will not feel understood because it's the nature of generalizing. Right. Uh, but my experience is that those aren't the men that I see that yes, many can be very direct, but it doesn't always mean they're being honest. It doesn't always mean they're being self-expressed. I think there is this fear of upsetting other people. I hear a lot in the groups, you know, happy wife, happy life, <laughs> which again is the biggest load of BS on the planet because it, it doesn't take into account the happiness of the person that my happiness is not dependent on my girlfriend's happiness. That if I'm just looking to make her happy, I'm forgetting about myself. I'm actually saying I don't matter. Right. And most people walk around not believing they matter and acting out that belief. And I think that's where our, Oftentimes, this lack of self-expression comes from, from not believing that they're actually worthy of expressing themselves. And this, and so this is um, something that's more a more modern issue, or these are more modern issues than they were, say, back when roles were more traditional. I mean, I wasn't alive then, so it's hard for me to say. I think that there was not as much room for men to be who they are 
when roles were more traditional. I think the boxes were more standard that I think my grandparents' generation, men probably wouldn't have been in a men's group talking about vulnerability with each other. Um, But it doesn't mean that they didn't suffer from the same things. It's just that there wasn't permission for them to acknowledge it. And I always, I I was a history major in college and love history. And I was obsessed with ancient history for a long time that so often we look at the trends of the last 50 years and see these vast changes. And it's so important to remember that 50 years is nothing. It is an insignificant prick in the expanse of history. And so I've got to believe that actually the challenges that people are facing today are the challenges that we've faced forever. It's just that today, for many of us, we don't have to go out and hunt or farm for our food. We don't have to worry about the roof over our heads. We don't have to deal with our survival on a daily basis. And as humans, we are biologically hardwired to be on the lookout for our survival, to be vigilant. And so where in the past, I think there wasn't as much space to tackle these issues for a large portion of the population, no longer dealing with needing to focus on survival every day of our lives. We're now looking at finding th- that there's an opportunity to dig into these more um, the the mental emotional challenges than were available in the past simply by virtue of the amount of time and the resources that we now have. But I believe that people for entire human history have been struggling with these same things. It's just that every era, every age has a different way of approaching them and different access and mm-hmm. norms for how it can be talked about. Okay, that makes sense. You know, I think um, a lot of people are concerned with how happy they are or how how happy they aren't because they are basing it on what they see others do on social media. Yes. They're measuring themselves against what they see on social media and they feel inadequate. And I have to say, I don't go on there because I feel inadequate when I'm on social media and I never feel that way. So um, I don't like feeling like that, but so many people spend hours and hours a day looking at these things and trying to measure themselves against it. It's impossible. It's a rat race. and you. It can never be done. So is happiness an issue that you're seeing? Absolutely. I think happiness is always an issue. And it's an issue because our society says everyone should be happy. And it's it's interesting. I, I'm part of this community. It's called Third Nature that a, a good friend of mine runs. And it's a community for entrepreneurial-minded individuals, everyone from 21 up into their 60s. And every Friday, he hosts a conver- uh, an event called Conscious Conversations which is a free event for anybody who wants to just have a conscious conversation with people from around the world. And we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago about what it means to feel alive. And these are facilitated. I'm one of the facilitators. And we were talking about what does it mean to feel alive? And people were saying it feels like being in flow, being passionate, being very excited, like feeling a high. And you know, I offered that being alive also means feeling unhappy. It means feeling hurt. It means feeling sad. It means having bad days. Because being alive is feeling 
all of the ups and the downs, being really willing to feel fully, not to be hijacked by your feelings or consumed by them, but to feel them. And I think that our society has held happiness as this goal when I would offer that what our goal really should be is to feel fully alive, to be able to be with all of the experience of our lives, both the highest highs and the lowest lows, because this we have our life um, and life is not perfect. A friend of mine, he always reminds me um, when I'm not in the greatest place, I put a lot of pressure on myself. And he says, where'd you come up with the idea that every day has to be perfect? <laughs> and every day cannot be perfect. And every day will have high highs and low lows. And I think one possibility of getting out of the happiness trap is looking to how can I be with whatever I'm experiencing mm -hmm. fully and deeply. I really, um, that's profound, Jake. Uh, I really like that you said that. Um, it's something I experience with my clients as well. And uh, many of them don't know what it's like to feel their emotions. Many yeah. of them are afraid of their emotions. And they're afraid that their emotions are going to hurt them, that they're not going to be able to recover from feeling those emotions. And what we do is we work on allowing those things to come through. Um, because there's no way that you can feel good about yourself if you're hiding all your feelings behind walls. And not only emotionally or mentally are you not going to feel good about yourself, but physically you're not because it's going to take its toll. So it's very important. Um, I mean, I know in my work why people get resort to hiding their feelings. Um, but is this a common issue with people? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I think what you notice in your work, I see in mine a lot too. I've worked with clients where I've asked, you know, what are you feeling? And I had one client, he said, you know, I don't even know what the feelings are. I need to go on Google and look up what certain emotions are because I've never had a, I've never been connected to them. And it is something that I see across the board, particularly in men, but I've seen it in several women over the years as well. And the value of certain apps or even just a journal of tracking your moods and your emotions to gain that awareness of what, what am I actually feeling and starting with what does it feel like in my body? What are the physical sensations I'm experiencing versus trying to put that mental label on top of them? Right. I was talking to a psychotherapist um, last week on my show, and we kind of talked about this and she said what she does to help her clients deal with their feelings is instead of asking them how they feel, she asks for a weather report. Mm, I love that. And so, because people can generally relate it to a weather report. That so, is really beautiful. Isn't that cool? That's, yeah, it's super I, cool. I really like it. I've used that. You know, I said, I'm going to steal that from you. <laughs> yeah, I may do the same. Uh-huh. Right. So because when they can get in touch, when they feel safe getting in touch with the weather report that's inside of them and how it changes throughout the day, then they can 
begin to see that they do have these moods and they and these emotions and eventually begin to label them yeah and it's that labeling as you know that it's so important mm -hmm. I, I always believe the first step to going anywhere is that awareness mm -hmm. and if i know i'm not experiencing what i want if i want more success if i want more fulfillment if i have more like specific tangible goals and i'm not getting there the first step is really understanding where i am mm. and that begins with that awareness of what am i experiencing what are the emotions that i'm experiencing what are the choices that i'm making am i choosing based on those emotions even if i'm not aware of them mm -hmm. and then moving forward in the direction of what you do want right i think career is a big issue yes when I was growing up, a man had a career. He stuck with it until he retired. Whether he liked it or not, he had a family to raise and he stuck with it. And he may have hated every single, my father hated every single day um, of the work that he did, hated it, but never really had that option to make a different choice. That's a good thing now that we don't have to stay in a career forever. We can, we can change them. We can have a variety of them. We can be entrepreneurs. We can do a little of this and a little of that. Um, is that something that you feel is beneficial to um, the people that you work with? And I think it's a double-edged sword. I think that it is beneficial and that people don't have to suffer through their careers. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of people suffering through their careers mm. that I know for me growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, there was so much emphasis put on do what you want to do, do meaningful work, like find work that you're passionate about, right? You're like, you're a great person, you're really special. And I've talked with my parents about this. And you notice this in many people of my generation, not just men, uh, men and women of my generation, this emphasis on do what you want. And I think it has caused, I know for myself, it caused a lot of paralysis early on in my career because I felt this, this need, and no one told me this, I made it up for myself, that I needed to, from the beginning, find my career that was gonna be really impactful and make a difference in the world. And what I've learned in the years since is that's just not the way that it works. And it's so important to experiment, to be willing to not make the right choice right away. I think it's incredibly valuable that someone can have a career. My first job out of college was in public relations. I'm clearly not doing that anymore. Mm -hmm. And for someone to be able to start a career and not put pressure that it's going to be for the next 40 years, that it's going to be one step along the pathway, mm -hmm. that it's so valuable that people have options now and are not pigeonholed into a job at 18 that you're doing when you're 40. And I remember my dad asked when I was in college, when I was very, I didn't know what I wanted to do. He said, whatever you do, I don't want you to end up at 40 doing a job an 18 year old wanted to do. <laughs> I thought that was so on point and so wise because at 18, I wanted at 18, I wanted to be a professor of bronze age Aegean history. <laughs> it would be very practical <laughs> and very niche. And to be frank, I probably would still love it, but I love the work that I do now. Mm -hmm. I never would have found it had I decided this is my path and this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Now, on the flip side, I have friends who I went to college with and the first day of college are like, I want to be a doctor. 
And I have a friend who's a doctor now and he couldn't be happier doing the job an 18 year old wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So it comes back to this idea of it's so important to know yourself and to be aligned with your values and what matters to you because anybody can give you advice and these broad trends, but ultimately it's up to the individual to decide what's right for them. And I can't say that someone shouldn't be in a job for 40 years if that's going to make them fulfilled, if that's going to give them the stability to then take care of their family, or if they don't want a family, there's the stability and the financial flexibility to travel and do what they want, that there is such value in being really clear about what is the life, what what does the life, I, what is the life I look like, what is the life I want look like, and to consistently be evaluating that. What do I want it to look like in a year? What do I want it to look like today? What do I want to look like tomorrow? And what can I do to get one step closer to that? That constant, I, my work all cycles around this cycle of action, reflection, and sharing. Okay. We learn by taking action and reflecting on that action and then sharing about what we've learned. Okay. Uh, and then we you cycle back through it because it's, we're constantly evolving and shifting. And so it's so important to reflect on, am I actually doing what I want to be doing? Is this giving me what I need to live my life? Mm -hmm. What do I want my life to look like to evaluate that in order to stay committed to or what, towards what actually matters to us? Again, well said. That's really, really, really good advice for everybody. I like that. Thank you. Um, I think that there is a lot of pressure for those kids that graduate high school and go to college and have to feel like they have to decide what they want to be. And I know I didn't figure out what I wanted to be till I was 50. I mean, I wanted to be a mother. I wanted to raise children. That was my priority. And then when that was over, then it was like, okay, now I have to figure out who I want to be. <laughs> um, and so for me, that started later in life. But for many years, I tried to examine that. What are my goals? What do I want to be? You know, I came up blank all the time. Mm. And I know that my life just, it just flowed into what I'm doing. And that's, a very important point I think for people is to follow the flow of your life and not try to control it, not try to put up resistance to it. Look for the signs, look for the directions, look for, listen to what people say to you and kind of go there. Um, life is going to show you eventually what's best for you. Do you, that's how I feel at least. Yeah, I really resonate with what you're saying. A friend of my father's used to say, don't worry about finding your path. Your path will find you. It does. And I really, I do believe that. I think that one, ultimately, we're the ones that are creating meaning in our lives. And so if we decide that this is our path, it is. Mm -hmm. And it's so valuable to have that perspective to be able to see. I know I look back at the choices I've made in the past, some of them I'm not proud of and can recognize that at the time that I made those choices, they were the best choice I could make given where I was. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be where I am without them. And everything leads to where we are. 
And we always have an opportunity to choose where we want to go. And I think that's really important that trusting that you're, I know for me, it's like trusting that my path will find me does not mean being a victim to my path. Right. Still being an agent of my own choices, but trusting that I, I know I can only control how I show up and the choices I make. That's it. And so I can make the best choice and it might not work. It's trusting that that outcome is still part of my journey and will lead me and I can trust myself inside of that to where I will and want to end up. So true. So Randy, I'm curious for your audience, what do you think your audience is curious about that I might be able to shed some light on? Um, you actually hit a lot of the high notes. You, you really did. You hit on a lot of them. And because it's uh, boundaries are a big, big issue. Setting boundaries, knowing how to do that without feeling like you're hurting somebody or like people won't like you. And this goes back to what you said in the very beginning. This fear that people aren't going to like you if you assert yourself, if you are who you are, you know. So we kind of covered that. Um, and I don't know if you have more to say about boundaries, um, but it's yeah. a big issue for a lot of yeah, people. Huge issue. I mean, it's an issue for myself, too. It's something I've, I've worked on. Saying no has been something that I've struggled with my whole life. And right. no is a very firm boundary. Right. Uh, that... I think the boundaries are so essential. And I know one thing that's helped me in that is knowing that if I don't set a boundary, if I don't say no, and I grow resentful of saying yes to something I really needed to say no to, that's not furthering myself. It's not furthering my relationships. That in every choice, and this is a model I learned from David Goldsmith and David Peterson, who are two of the pioneers of the coaching profession, there's a model called first, second, and third order consequences, which is that every choice we make has a first, second, and third order consequence. And the first order consequence is the immediate thing we experience. They gave an example of you eat a slice of cake, and I'll tie this back to boundaries in a second. You eat a slice of cake, it tastes great. Like you get that the sugar rush, it's awesome, it's very tasty. The second order consequence is, you know, a few minutes later or a few hours later, you feel maybe a little bloated, maybe a little sick. The third order consequence is if you keep eating cake, you put on weight, you could get diabetes and it could vastly impact your health. And so when we don't set boundaries, I know when I don't set boundaries, the first order consequence is I don't have to deal with this challenge. I don't have to worry about not being liked. I don't have to worry about conflict. I don't have to stand up for myself. And so it's so easy to be lulled into not setting boundaries by that first order consequence. The issue, as you know, is those second and third order consequences can be very challenging and they can actually undermine relationships. And so it's so important to recognize, am I choosing because it's going to feel good in the moment or because this is actually in, in service of me and my relationship? And one model I use in relationships oftentimes, which helps me set boundaries, is this idea of loving the relationship more than myself and more than the other person. To actually see the relationship as an entity of its own 
to know that the relationship needs things that I don't need and that the other person doesn't need. The relationship may require me to set a boundary that I don't want to set. May require me to upset the person I'm in a relationship with. Hmm. The relationship may require us to have a conversation neither of us wants to have. But in order to take care of nourish the relationship, we need to. And I know that that's been helpful for me in getting out of my ego and getting out of what I want or what I'm comfortable with to make the choice for the thing that I really care about, which is the relationship, that it's so easy to be selfish or it's so easy to be selfless. Hmm. And it's, it's much harder to really think about what do we, what does our relationship, which is not me or the other person, and this goes for groups as well as for individuals, like what does the relationship need? Um, it goes for groups, it goes for companies, it goes for cities, it goes for countries, it goes for the world. What if we looked at taking care of the relationship more than ourselves and more than the other people, what different choices would we make? And I think that's a really profound, I know it's been profound for me. And I, to be fair, I didn't make this up, um, but it's, it's definitely- profound. It's profound, yeah. it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. It, it shifts our perspective off of ourselves um, and the other person. I, I, I love this. I mean, I think this is, this is great. Um, there, most of the people that I work with um, have focused on the relationship, found that that didn't work, and then ended up focusing on the other person and found that that didn't work either and lost themselves in, in both. Yeah. And yeah. say this, sometimes taking care of the relationship means leaving the relationship. That taking care of the relationship doesn't mean it, it flourishing in the way that it's always looked. Right. Sometimes the, the relationship always exists. I, I believe that we're always in relationship with everyone we've ever been in relationship with, whether we talked to them yesterday or haven't talked in 15 years, that in our minds and our hearts, the there's still a relationship there. And ultimately, that's what we're taking care of, our conception, con conceptualization of the relationship. And so sometimes... <clears throat> people are in a romantic or intimate relationship and it's not working. The way to take care of the relationship is to no longer be in a romantic, intimate partnership. That might be the only way to save the relationship. <laughs> Whether they talk again afterwards or don't, that I, I believe it's so, and this is not possible in every single situation, mm -hmm. that there are people who do not know how to leave relationships. There are people who are not capable of empathy and being with another's emotions and respecting what they want. Mm -hmm. um, but there are many people who can. And I think it's so valuable to, uh, for example, I, I ended a four-year relationship about four years ago. And when I did, my commitment to our relationship was to leave it being loving, respectful, and kind, or loving, honorable, and kind. And it was really challenging. It was tough. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And it was so important because it took care of our relationship, even though we're no longer together, mm -hmm. that there's a sweetness to that relationship that exists because of how I chose to leave it, uh, even though I'm glad to no longer be in that relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's, I, I wish more people knew how to leave honorably. <laughs> I think the world would be a much more beautiful place if people did. And people didn't take the end of relationships personally because so often they're not. 
And obviously, so often they are. And oftentimes people are with people that are not right for them. Um, but I do believe that in certain relationships, leaving honorably creates a vastly different experience than not. And then sometimes you cannot leave honorably. Right. And that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, what you said is, is just, it, it makes sense. It's the best way to get out of a relationship. Um, most of the people that are listening are on the other side, the other part yeah. where you can't leave nicely. You just can't, you can't leave. You can't be, be friends. You have to just run sometimes, hmm? <laughs> um, you know, but that's okay. That's okay. Then you have to deal with yourself. Um, and any relationship that you have to run from to me is not truly a relationship. I call it an emotional hostage situation that you're just getting yourself out of um, because a relationship is two people really working towards the same uh, basic goals and growing in that way. And um, these kind of relationships are do not, it's one-sided. One person holds it up. The other person takes advantage. Yeah. Um, so there's no way to nicely leave, but most people will say to me, I really just want to leave this in a nice way. <laughs> yeah. And, um, when you're dealing with a narcissist, the nicer you are, the more you'll get taken advantage of. So yeah. it's, it's a really, it's a, it's a hard thing for people to, to grasp, but it's really um, challenging. It's I mean, what, what, what comes to my mind again, not as I, these are not clients that I work with, but for any of you who are in that situation, what I would offer is sometimes leaving honorably has nothing to do with the other person. It doesn't mean being kind or nice to them, but how can you be honorable for to yourself? Because in an unsafe relationship, the best thing you can do for yourself is leave. And in that, in a situation where you're unsafe, it's not worth it to be kind and respectful and nice because you don't put yourself in the best position to leave. And I know from having friends who've been in unsafe relationships that it can be so hard to not be those things for fear of retribution. And so it's such a challenging situation and, and not one that I have any authority to speak on having not had the experience, but would offer for yourself, how do you be kind to yourself? How do you be respectful to yourself? How do you honor yourself? Which may mean just leaving. That's huge. Thank you. Thank you for that. I'm sure that resonated with a lot of my listeners. Honor yourself. Yeah. It's, it's so important because you each matter. And to make the choice from the place of you mattering, even if that means hurting another person. And if it's a narcissist, I don't know if a narcissist can be hurt. You can't hurt them. Right. You can't hurt them. Um, but I know that, well, I mean, I always think you can't go through life without hurting people. And you can't make choices without the potential of also hurting yourself. Yeah. And it's it's okay. Some right. You've got to make the choice to take care of you right. if you're in an unsafe relationship. And if you're living your life protecting other people from getting hurt, you're not doing them any favors. 
Not at all. Because we build our we build resilience on the things that we have to overcome. Completely. And so thinking that you are the only thing that's keeping this person alive is um is a little bit of an inflated sense of self because you're not this person will survive they will go on they will be okay they will heal we heal from everything it's the nature of 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 the human condition we do heal from things um so the other the other thing that i want to bring up is the issue of self-love this is huge too this is a really big issue for the people that i work with when i say now you need to love yourself. Yes. They say, well, isn't that selfish? No. <laughs> so let me hear what you have to say on that. Yeah, I don't think it's selfish at all. It's how can you love somebody else if you don't first love yourself? That we have a saying in our group that I get to love me so I can love you. Mm-hmm. So you can love you so you can love me back. Mm. And it all starts with taking care of ourselves that ultimately, and this is is the way I look at the world or think about the world is we engage with the world that we interpret. So we're always engaging with ourselves that I'm always looking at the world through my lenses. I'm relating to the people I'm in relationship with through how I see them. That if I don't love myself, if I don't take care and nurture myself, I'm not seeing the wholeness of who they are. I'm not putting myself in a position to actually be a full participant in my relationships. And if I don't take care of myself and refill my battery, how can I ever be there for somebody else? You get tapped out, you get tired and you get resentful. Completely. And that undermines your relationships. Mm -hmm. Right. Because some people assume that when they do good for others, it's going to be acknowledged and reciprocated. That's not necessarily true. If the other person isn't asking you to do these things, they really could care less if you do. Yeah. Or they, I mean, they may not notice it that some people, we, we care about people in our own ways. Mm -hmm. Everybody receives care and love differently. And so when I do something for my girlfriend, she may not receive it in the same way. Mm -hmm. Luckily she does, but Um, There are cases where I might think I'm really caring and it's just normal. It's taken for granted. Not because she's doing anything wrong, by the way. Just because we're different people. Right. And I think, I know when I look to be generous, what I'm on the lookout for is, am I doing this with the expectation of anything in return? And if I am, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Because then it's not actually generosity, it's selfishness. That there's an opportunity to be a hundred zero with how I give to give with no expectation of acknowledgement or reciprocation, but to give just because I want to give. And I think that if you're looking at it from that perspective of like, I just want to give to this human. I just want to give to this person. And I don't care if they acknowledge it or not. There's such beauty in that. And it takes the pressure off your own shoulders. Whereas when I've made choices and I've hoped for a response of a certain kind, I'm just setting myself up for failure because I've never voiced that expectation. expectation and if I don't tell someone, yeah, I, I agree with you. Expectation is a trap. Completely. You know, it, it, it is. It, um, 
even, I mean, I know in my work, if I had expectations that everything I said to people, they were just going to do and take it and progress, I could never, ever do what I do. I give it to them with love and caring, and then they have to do with it what they want to do with it, you know? Yes. Um, but people who get into coaching in fields like this that get into it thinking they're going to show the person and then expect that the outcome is going to be, you know, what they want are going to be just let down all the time and Usually. feel inadequate. So that just, that's a big word, expectation. It's huge. And there's a man in the men's group I'm a member of that I've actually been in for almost eight years. And he always brings everything back, back to expectation. And it's so accurate that we're constantly dealing with our own expectations of everyone else in the world. Mm. And nobody knows what those are except for us. And oftentimes we don't even know what they are. And so becoming clear on what your expectations are, what your expectations of your partner is, what your expectations of your children are, what your expectations of your manager, your boss are, is so valuable because when they're not meeting them, you get to assess, have I actually told them this is my expectation? Mm. And if I haven't, how can I possibly expect them to know? <laughs> and then it's an opportunity to actually have a conversation and say, hey, by the way, like these are my expectations of you, not because you need to fulfill them, just because I want you to know what my expectations are. And can we have a conversation about what your expectations are of me? So healthy. Thank you. That is so healthy. Well, well wow. You've said you, you have a lot of wisdom for 32 Thank years. You of age yeah. i have a son your age my son's, my son's a doctor he's a surgeon oh that's that's beautiful that's but he didn't he never knew what he wanted to do until he was in his um, um sophomore year in college he thought he wanted to do something else and, and then all of a sudden he found this thing and he's very happy in it and i, I know really my daughter um she she's 38 she um went to school for as a math major ended up majoring in business because she didn't like the uh the programming aspect of it you know ended up in statistics in her first job and is now a data scientist so wow. so she morphed into this you know it, it just it found her yes. so it does our paths find us they do mm -hmm. even when it doesn't make sense it's worth trusting that as a friend of mine likes to say things have a funny way of working out yes they do they always do well jake it's been great talking to you. You, you thank you for all this wisdom i mean i love doing this show because i learn you know um i may have the same thought but i may not be able to put it into words the way that you do you you do that very well Thank you. Well, it's been a, a wonderful conversation, Randy. Really enjoyed uh, talking with you and learning more about your work and, and going where we went. I just mm -hmm. conversing with people and seeing where the conversation goes is always such a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Well, thanks again. Have a wonderful day. And I will send you the files when this is up, which will be sounds, very shortly. Sounds good. Have a great rest of your day. Thank Take you. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.